Hello, this is a special election debate from The Observer. I'm Anoush Grostana. Never before has education been such a fiercely contested issue in a general election. In Labour's manifesto, it tops the list of social policies, ahead of health, crime, immigration, family and the environment. The Conservatives promise to improve schools on page one of theirs, and the Liberal Democrats address the issue on the cover, pledging a fair chance for every child. Today, we bring together five experts in the field of education to discuss which party's policies could really transform Britain's schools. This is a special election debate from The Observer. Before I introduce our panel, I want to welcome regular listeners to The Guardian's News and Politics podcast. I'm Anoush Grostana, The Observer's policy editor. With me today in a packed studio are Fiona Miller, an education campaigner who has been fighting hard to promote comprehensive schools, Estelle Morris, the former Secretary of State for Education, Mick Brooks, the General Secretary of the National Association of Head Teachers, Toby Young, journalist and author of How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, who is also a father of four in the process of setting up a school in West London, and Anders Hulton, a former advisor to the Swedish Ministry of Schools, who is now Chief Executive of GEMS UK, an education company that has a network of schools in 10 countries. So before we get into some of the policies, I'd like to ask Mick Brooks, who has worked as a head teacher and represents thousands of other heads, why do you think education is so important in this election? Uh, I believe that uh, in educational terms we are at a unique uh, moment in time at the moment and when you look at the components of education, so curriculum uh, and from early years right up to uh, post-16, there are debates and questions about the curriculum and uh, we thought we got a new curriculum uh, in primary sector and that's just been thrown out in in the wash-up, which I think opens schools up to saying, okay, we'll decide on that. Uh, Certainly in terms of accountability and the... um, Uh, ballot that the NHT is having with the NUT uh, on the way in which children should be assessed and how that assessment is used for accountability I think is key because uh, whatever uh, curriculum you have uh, it can be skewed by accountability so we've got to get that the right way round that the curriculum drives uh, and the the accountability process and uh, third uh, pedagogy the way in which you teach is also uh, very very important and uh, making sure there are there are good systems of discipline because no teaching and no learning happens uh, in in schools or very little anyway where where there is not a good basis of discipline and finally uh, and what we're going to be talking about today are structures and a big debate as to how what schools should look like and and how they're going to be systemized and structured in the future so uh, big changes uh, for the future so a unique moment in time I think. Great, thanks Mick. And uh, yep, let's turn to structures. So one of the most controversial policies has been um, the Conservatives' promise of Swedish-style free schools. They would allow groups of parents to set up their own schools that would be state-funded but independently run. Now, unlike Sweden, where for-profit companies actually take control of schools, I think in the vast majority of cases, the Tories say for-profits will not be allowed to take control of schools here. However, it recently emerged that parents could outsource the day-to-day running of schools to private companies. Uh, That led Labour to accuse the Tories of letting the free market rip in education. Toby, um, as someone who's hoping to be one of the first people to open a free school, can you talk a little bit about what you see as the difference between the two parties on this issue? Well, it's not clear that there's a difference in their attitudes to whether or not... um, Uh, an academy trust or a foundation trust or a local authority could subcontract the operation of a school or a number of schools to for-profit companies. Um, It's not clear that the Conservatives would allow that and the Labour Party wouldn't. So you're saying that Um, it's already permissible? Certainly within the um, existing framework of laws, um, it is possible and it's happened. Um, There's at least one example in 2007, um, a school called um, Salisbury um, uh, subcontracted um, the operation of its school to a commercial company called Edison Learning. Um, And that was um, at least tacitly approved of by the department at the time, Andrew Adonis even visited the school, and uh, uh, up until now, 
um, the, the, the Labour Party have certainly not indicated that they have any problem with for-profit companies being involved in the day-to-day running of schools. Um, and it was only on Sunday, actually, that Ed Balls uh, fired off a letter to Michael Gove in which he acknowledged that there was a loophole in the law as it stood, but that Labour, if re-elected, would close that loophole. Now, there was nothing about that in the Labour Party manifesto on Monday, and Ed Balls is in the habit of making up policy on the hoof. We know this because a week earlier he gave an interview in the Guardian, I think it was, in which he said that um, uh, the Labour Party categorically weren't going to raise VAT, and uh, that isn't a policy, and Darling hasn't pledged himself to that, neither has Brown. It was just something that Ed Balls plucked out of the air. In fact, it was um, in an um, interview with The Observer. In the same interview, the it was when he talked about this very issue, where he accused the Tories of letting, letting the free market rip, and he called it the free market schools policy. So there must be a difference. Yes. I think the, the, the key difference is that whereas both want to grant more power to parents in um, the running of schools. Um, Under Labour, uh, there would be some exceptional circumstances in which parents could be balloted. And if if they thought that their senior leadership team uh, wasn't doing a good enough job, they could um, uh, sack them effectively and participate in the appointment of another provider from an approved DCSF list of providers. So they could effectively have the power or more power to hire and fire, referees if you like, Um, whereas under the Conservatives they're going to actually empower parents to, if they want, take charge of schools, whether they be failing schools or schools that they've actually set up themselves. So parents, for instance, could form a majority on the Board of Governors. They could be the main sponsors of academies, and they could, if they wanted to, actually get involved in the day-to-day running of schools. Just to say, when you mentioned DCSF, you're, of course, talking about the Department for Children, Schools and Families. Under your own plans, Toby, you have considered outsourcing the running of Um, a school to a private company and have talked to some private companies is that right well we're putting it out to tender and um, we're we're advertising um, for a a, a, an operating partner who will work in cooperation with us to manage the school on a day-to-day basis and we've talked to some charitable companies uh, we've talked to some commercial companies um, and uh, we're trying to do it in in the most professional and transparent way possible Um, and it might it may be that we will end up with a commercial provider um, uh, uh, and and, uh, uh, but, but, but we're still in the process I and mean, we're talking to a whole range of different companies. We're going to come on to the issue of for-profit um, involvement in schools. And just before we do that, I mean, this is based on the Swedish model and uh, critics of that model argue that a two-tier system has emerged in the country. I mean, they say that people like yourself, Toby, who are kind of articulate middle-class um, parents are able to create excellent schools for their children whilst others who you know don't have that ability are left with shoddy buildings I think um, some people have spoken about and poorer teachers. Um, Fiona I know you've been covering this issue on your blog The Truth About Schools. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Well I think the point of a school system is that it has to be fair to all children and all families not just some parents and some children and what worries me about we already have a very hierarchical school system in this country and actually it's not comparable to Sweden we have a lot of independent schools paid for independent schools we have a lot of select fully selective schools we have semi-selective schools Um, it, it is a different context to the Swedish context. Creating more fragmentation I think will make a situation where it's worse for a lot of children. And what we should be thinking about is what's the best system for everybody. And personally, I have a real problem with some schools having freedoms that other schools don't have. I think if, they're, if it's right to give everybody freedoms, give them to everybody. Otherwise, make sure there's a level playing field between one school and another. And this, I mean, there is a confusion in people's minds between autonomous maintained schools. I know it's a very technical point, but maintained schools come within the maintained system and autonomous independent schools like academies and the new free schools that always want to create. They are fully independent schools. They're governed by a commercial contract, not by the whole body of law that governs, governs most schools in this country that protects the rights of pupils, of special needs pupils, of children who are going to be excluded and so on. And I think we've got to be very clear about having a system that's fair to everybody. And then what worries me about the direction the Conservatives want to go in, and to a lesser extent in the way... Um, some Labour policies have gone, is we're going to create a system that's very unfair 
to some families at the expense of others. And my final point about this is the Tories are explicit about the fact that they want to create surplus places because they think that will create competition in the market. I think that's profoundly misguided at a time when we're all going to be facing public spending cuts. The money for the surplus places will come out of the building schools for the future budget. In other words, it's money that could have gone into existing schools. And the revenue costs of running those schools will come from them being able to poach pupils from other local schools. So you'll be effectively robbing Peter to pay Paul. So, so can I just come straight back in on yeah, that? Yeah, sure, point? Toby. Um, it's already official government policy to fund surplus places. And there are 793,000 surplus places funded in England alone. So that isn't actually an example of a difference between the Tories well, and no, the Labour no, Party. No, about, it is a difference. We're not talking about creating, deliberately creating more surplus places to create competition, and David Cameron is absolutely explicit about the, saying the, that. The difference is that under the present government, a, the number of surplus places that are funded is fixed and quite small, and there will probably be more flexibility in the number of surplus I places think where that are funded under the But it's not a question of some would, some would fund and others would very wouldn't. hard to manage the reduction of those surplus places so that money is used efficiently. It's a managed process involving all schools. Well, this it's not that efficient since there are nearly a million in, the U- in, in England alone. So yeah, can um, I, can but I can I just, I just clear up one misunderstanding about the school that my group's trying to set up too? Um, people say that because we're a predominantly middle-class group of parents, it would be a school for middle-class children, and that's just absolute rubbish. Um, you know, we'd comply with the school admissions code. Our admissions policy would be identical to that of all the neighbouring comprehensives. Um, it's like saying that because Gordon Brown is, in his own words, a middle-class man, that he would only govern in the interests of middle-class people. But you've got hundreds of parents who are involved with you. I mean, would you, are you saying that they're from a complete mix of backgrounds? And Well, there are, there are, there are a broad range of parents in, in, in our 500-strong right. parent group, but that's not the issue. I mean, the admissions policy of the school would be fair, and um, that means that the intake would reflect the social and ethnic diversity of the area, which is exactly what we want. So what happens when another, another group of parents comes along in your area and wants to set up their school? Well, they'd be perfectly entitled to do yeah, that. Yeah, so where does the money come from to set up every... You know, every time a group of parents comes along, you've got to find another pot of money to give them to run the school. Where do you think it's all going to come from? Well, I don't think, um, I, well, I don't think that it's likely that if in an area where... Well, somebody are, might want a Waldorf Steiner school, they might, want a, they might want a Jewish school, they might want a Roman Catholic school. They should be... In, if you, you're entitled to set up your school, why shouldn't they set up their this school? This is a key point, because uh, the money can only come out of the existing school's budgets yeah. in an area, and that's both a reference new money and the capital to set it up, uh, which by creating new schools would reduce the funding available to all the other schools in the area. And that's one of our key objections. Can I, uh, thanks for that, Mick. I mean, just on this issue, I mean, I think this is what people are worried about. They're worried that, you know, Toby, you set up a school in Acton and it takes away from the local comprehensive that was there in the first place. And, and as you've obviously heard criticism of the Swedish system for creating this two-tier thing, how would you respond to that? No, I think uh, basically it's very positive that you bring a lot of power to the parents, and uh, I think that that's uh, that's an experience from Sweden that you you would be very surprised what happened when when you transfer a lot of influence to the parents. So, but it's it's somehow a bit hard to uh, compare because uh, uh, during this uh, in, in this academy program the state is supposed to play a c- kind of role and uh, and uh, make a, a lot of capital investments in buildings and so on so i would say the the problem that fiona mentioned uh, uh, that um, a new school might be set up in the neighborhood of of another new school uh, that wouldn't really happen if uh, this was driven by private uh, companies they would uh, they try to find markets that that really had a demand. Um, so if you transfer uh, all power to the parents and say what wherever they are and whenever they they wish a new school, they can get a new school. You you can actually have some problem. So right? you're saying that a two-tier system hasn't emerged in Sweden? No, I think it's a greater mix and much more mo- mobility in the in the in the school system overall. And uh, I think in the UK as well as in Sweden, the most important thing is actually where you live. Uh, not, yeah, that's that's uh, that's the key key issue for the politicians to deal with. And and the free school reform has some sometimes uh, provided an opportunity for parents in poor areas to actually opt out from very bad schools and to to find another school somewhere somewhere else. And that's quite. Important. Important, I think. Uh, you want to jump in, Estelle Morris, former Secretary of State for Education. There's so many issues here that I think the problem is that nobody knows exactly what the Tories are saying and what it might look like. I've got no problem if there's a difficulty in an area, and I know there was, when I was Secretary of State, one of the southern South London uh, areas where there literally weren't enough places for the children. There'd been bad planning, there'd been a lot of pupil mobility. 
And it was a problem, and a group of parents got together, and their choice at that point was almost single-sex schools or faith schools. Mm. You can absolutely see that in those circumstances, the voice of those parents should be heard. And if they say, we want a local school that's not selective that's mixed, that's not faith, I think then we're obliged to support them. So that principle of there are times when what parents want should be adhered to and we should support them, I've not got a problem with. I think the issue here is what the Tories have done. They're actually talking about it now as a system, about a key way of improving schools for all children, not saying to parents who come with a particular problem, yes, we'll have a law that enables you to do that. And that's the crucial thing. And it's interesting, Toby, what you said about the admissions arrangements, because I had a previous interview you did, and I think you've perhaps changed changed your mind a little bit about that or developed your ideas. If the people, the parents who set up the schools, are going to have to adhere to all the national legislation, like the national curriculum, like the assessment, like the trained teachers, what exactly is this freedom that's meant to be so different? So that's, to make two points, that's the first thing. As long as we're talking about free schools and nobody will say what the freedoms are, given to the parents will be, we're talking in a vacuum. And the second thing is, we've been now been talking for 10 to 15 minutes, and it's not parents. Parents are key partners in a school. What really makes a good school is the quality of teaching in the classroom. There's a real danger that every single time we have a general election or a new set of politicians, they do what politicians has always done. This is what Fiona, I think, was saying as well. They turn to structural change mm. as an answer for everything. Mm. And there's no quick fix, whether they're run by parents or anyone else. There's no quick fix on schools. And if we learn one thing over the last 20 years, it's painful and it's slow and it's systematic. And it's improving the quality of teaching in schools. And that's where the debate should be. And to some extent, I don't take away from your unhappiness now about not being able to get your children into a place, Toby. It's absolutely legitimate and your voice should be heard. But the notion that what you're, what you're trying to do and good luck to you is somehow a recipe for the English education system is cloud cuckoo land. Exactly. One sec, Toby, just before you come back on that, just one quick thing. You, you're saying that it should be about really standards rather than structures or focus on what's happening inside the classroom. Estelle, do you, do you believe that you were ever guilty as um, Secretary of State for focusing too much on structures? Um, personally, I think the Labour government has been a little bit in, in its second term. Personally, it was something... Um, I was always very aware of that what made the difference at the end of the day was what happened in the classroom. The trouble is, it doesn't make a good political announcement. It's not a headline story. It's not the sexy thing that people want for next month's byline in their, in their media thing. It's just a slog. It's about professional development for teachers, getting the right teachers in the right school, federations, all that. And maybe we can come on to that. But the, I only say that it would be awful if we had a, a debate here that had made this assumption that structural reorganisation will somehow solve the problem. It's never done it yet, and it's not going to do it now. OK, well, Toby, why do you think just, you could just, improve? I'll address that in a second, yeah. but just to come back on the cost point. Yeah. Um, I don't think, actually, that if the Conservatives win, more surplus places than are funded at present will end up being funded. We know, because we're in the midst of an education, uh, of a population boom, that we're going to need more secondary school places uh, in, 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 very shortly. Um, it's not a question of whether or not we need more schools. It's a question of who's going to be responsible for setting them up and managing them. And uh, it's really a choice, I think, between um, uh, the state continuing its monopoly or allowing other groups uh, to actually participate in the creation and setting up of schools. And uh, what, what one of the policies the Conservatives is proposing is that... Uh, new schools should be able to lease the buildings they're in. I mean, it costs approximately £50 million for a local authority to build an eight-form entry uh, secondary school. Yeah, uh, it will cost... Co- like £20 million. Well, the one in Elm Green costs £70, the one that's about yeah, no, to open... No, £20 million. £20 million. £20 million for school. Well, it's more yeah. than that, come on. It's more than that. <laughs> I signed, signed it off. off. I signed anyway, a good few off. Anyway, it'll be substantially less um, to actually lease and fit out a building. Uh, And the advantage of that is that when the population then declines, uh, you can then move out of the building. Uh, Whereas uh, in in the case of a local authority, in the case of our local authority, for instance, there were six comprehensive schools serving the local community in Acton. Now there are three, because when the population was falling, the local authority sold off three of them. And that's what tends to happen. And that is not an efficient way of making what little money there is for education go further. So what what makes you, Toby, better equipped at running a school than the local authority? Uh, I don't think I personally am, am better equipped, but I think that um, uh, I think that uh, 
if we if we set up a school that all the local parents who recognise that there's a need for a new school in the area have participated in setting up, have helped devise the curriculum, have done a huge amount of research on what best practices and so on and so forth, and then we find a provider with an established track record of running successful schools, whether a provider from Sweden or America or in the UK, and we bring them in to manage the day-to-day operation of our school, I really do think that we'll end up with a more successful school than yet another local authority maintained comprehensive. Okay, I'm going to um, get Mick and Fiona just to come back on to that, and then I'd like us to talk about this um, issue of who, which companies actually run schools. Can Mick. I just blow this myth that local authorities run, run schools? schools? They yeah, do not, like they and they haven't done time. for many, many years. Uh, and once the E was taken out of the local education authority, uh, even less. So the responsibilities are to make sure that the funding is distributed, pro- distributed properly, that admissions criteria are adhered to, and that children with special educational needs are properly placed uh, out Outside that, there's not a lot else uh, apart from transport, I guess. So local authorities do not run schools. We just okay, need to make so that absolutely clear. Who does? Yeah, they devolve it to the heads and the heads, dis- yeah. the heads dis- the governing bodies. Sorry. Sorry. Governing right. bodies do that. So make governing bodies run schools. Governing bodies run yeah, schools. Yeah, okay. So with the head, and hopefully. Heads, heads. Yes. And head teachers. <laughs> okay. Well, as a chair of governors of two schools, I was going to make that point, actually, that this, one of the myths in this debate okay. is that everything is centrally run by these faceless bureaucrats. I mean, that nearly all school funding is funded down to the school level now, and it's a ve- and so heads and governors have a lot of power. And, of course, a, a lot of schools aren't local authority schools. They're Church of England schools, they're Catholic schools, they're voluntary aided schools, they're foundation schools. They're all already autonomous, but they're working within a local family of schools. And I think that gives enough freedom, but, but, but it binds different schools together. The other point I wanted to make is about accountability, which we haven't talked to yet. I mean, the, the real risk, I think, of this free schools policy, and if you look at the new schools networks website, this is the delivery agency that the... Tories have set up to help them build, create all these new schools. They, 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 it's, it's, it's got well, well, it's run by two people, two people, three people Michael, Michael Gove. But I mean, so the, right, the point is, if you read the small print, they are encouraging the parents or teacher groups, whoever it is, to 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 build a partnership with an A N other organisation, and the A N other organisation will run the school. And I mean, I think this is the really it is the nitty gritty of how this will work in practice. That is very important. Run. They won't be responsible for the government. Sorry, can I just finish? Well, I can say what I think. Okay, so you've got two models. One is they run the school, so they're effectively the governing body, or the parents of the governing body, they subcontract, outsource the running of the school to the private sector company, and the private sector company then runs the school and and has the levers of power, and the governing body basically has to manage a big contract. So my worry about this is that really these companies are interested not in individual schools. There's not much to be got out of a small one-form entry primary school. They want chains of schools. They want to centralise their back office services because that's where the profit comes from. And many of them could be, ha- could be based in other countries. So, you know, it's a long way for the parent to go. We talk about devolving power down to communities for the parent to go with their placard, isn't it, if your school is based in Dubai or Stockholm or New York. OK, in Sweden... For-profit companies are able to take direct control of schools. Um, I'm going to ask Estelle about this first and then Anders, but what the Tories have said, and they, and they say they believe this quite strongly, is they don't believe for-profit companies should take control of schools because they want people who are interested in the, um, you know, in the intake and in how the schools perform to take control, so charitable trusts, governing bodies, but that you could subcontract out for a set management fee um, the day-to-day running of that school. Um, Estelle, I know you've spoken before about the difference between those two situations. Can you just talk about that again? It's not easy. I think it is complicated. I think we need to set out some principles and agree the principles and work from that. And I, I think I start from two. I've not got a problem in bringing in outside skills um, to help raise standards for children. I never have right. had, and I did some of the local authority interventions when we first started doing them, and I think many have stood the test of time. What was it, like that in the mid-90s? Uh, late 90s, right. and uh, I think lots of those local authorities, uh, Hackney and Islington, are actually under those outside London are better now. So that principle of all the knowledge doesn't lie within the local authority or even in the public sector... I'm, I'm, I'm at ease with that. So there's somebody got knowledge and skills that can help us deliver better for children, get them involved. What I'm not at ease is most of the private sector companies are actually motivated by the profit motive. That's why they're in business. They provide service, but their bottom line is to show a profit at the end of the day. And that's not what the public education system's about. Bottom line at the end of the day is to raise standards for children. 
And therefore, if we've got a situation where a company is incentivized to make more profit by actually putting less money into the schools, I'd be very, very unhappy by it. But if there's a system whereby somebody's got a skill set and a school says, I will pay you X to work with me to deliver this in my school. I don't have a problem with that. And the analogy I always, I always use is too, dinner ladies, we've outsourced dinners, school meals, and some of those private sector companies are perfect. Well, some of them are perfectly good, and I don't think they were brilliant beforehand. And secondly, and you know, don't, don't jump down my throat, Mick, at the end of the day, it's what teachers do. They get paid to go and teach in schools. And to some extent, they're taking money that could go to kids. So this idea that nobody earns a living out of running schools, we just have to get past that. Of course, we've um, abs- outs- um, outsourced far more than just the uh, dining we, we experience. It, it, was, it, it was merely an example. But yeah. I don't want to get to the position where I say that nobody outside the school system them, with skills to offer can't do it but I'd be absolutely opposed to anybody coming into the state system who's a profit making company and that's what they're there to do so that is not what should so, happen so one of the differences is that once you pay the management fee even if you are a private company there isn't an incentive to reduce yeah, the amount you, you spend to on do the school. a job and you deliver so, that job I've not got a problem um, Anders um, was co-founder of let me try and say this correctly Kunskapsskolen a Swedish company that um, runs, I think, over 30 schools in of the free schools in Sweden. And he and others have argued that part of what makes the Swedish model successful is the fact, the very fact that for-profit companies are allowed to run schools. Um, Anders, why do you believe that? I strongly believe that we need to create a school system that is good for the pupils. And I think uh, if we can create a system that promotes the idea that good schools should uh, try to grow their expansion and expand their their operation, and we should punish bad schools so they disappear and don't make too much damage to the kids, I think that would be very good. Um, and what what Estelle is saying is, is a bit strange for me because we are talking about... Uh, uh, Small, small suppliers should be should be uh, uh, under competition. We should use them under competition because we somehow believe that competition is a way to provide a good quality on the service and an efficient use of the resources. But when it comes to the really important thing, how we organize teachers and how we deliver teaching to the pupils, we should make an exception and say that these rules that we normally follow in order to secure quality and a good use of resources are not really used. And, and I, I, I strongly believe that a system based on the profit motive would actually mean that good schools would grow and expand their business and bad schools would disappear and I think that's really good for the pupils. And you've said before that there's no reason why quality of education should be inversely related to having for profits in school. No, I think I actually think uh, completely opposite way that uh, a good way to secure bad quality is to 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 organize everything in a monopoly uh, which we have been doing for years and I think many many pupils has has uh, been paying a high price for that. Can I ask you just one last quick thing um to you Anders and then I'll I'll throw it to someone else which is that you know, if you're a for-profit company, what me- what it means is you're not going to spend that hundred pence that's come from the government on the school because you're going to withdraw a profit from it. Um, you argue that you could spend ninety pence better than the local authority could spend a hundred pence, or a head, or a governing body, whoever it might be. Um, can you just talk about that? And then I think I'll just throw that out to other people. Uh, can I just go to the facts and say that we, we are actually, uh, if I go to the Swedish experience, we had about 90% of the average cost for a municipality school uh, as a revenue per pupil. And uh, uh, we had whatsoever, no entrance test, no selection, no top-up fees, uh, and so on. So, But still, we performed 30% better when it comes to the uh, academic outcomes. So how could this be achieved? By a more efficient use and more careful use of the critical resources that's that's what it's all about and and uh, i think we have in the history uh, many, many evidence that uh, when the state and the local authorities are starting to spend money, they are really not uh, they are really not very efficient about that. Toby, you're nodding your head. Can I just add yeah. that um, if a free school like the one my group wants to set up did find itself saddled with a profiteering commercial provider, then we simply wouldn't renew its contract. We wouldn't have to go to Sweden, for instance, to protest if it was a Swedish provider. We just wouldn't renew its contract, and we'd then find another provider who we thought could do a better job. And if we weren't conscientious about managing that process, then 
we'd simply lose children to nearby competing schools. So you believe, Toby, that it's right that the Conservatives are drawing the line where they are and not allowing companies to come directly into schools? Well, let's see how well it works for the time being. But uh, bear in mind that all that we're proposing to do and all the Conservatives have said that they'll allow groups like us to do is what's currently allowable under the existing rules. So the question, yeah, I mean, one thing I just want to ask is, okay, they say they can spend 90p better, but don't we want somebody spending all the money? Well, I would, I'd rather the money was spent on the children. I don't agree with Estelle about the school meal service at all. I mean, it took Jamie Oliver to come in and expose how degraded school meals had become since the privatisation of Turkey. It wasn't great when it was all run by local authorities. It was much better. It was much better. It was honestly the Turkey Twizzlers. Remember all that parents protesting. Can I just? I want to ask. I I do want to ask Toby something because you say you'll just get you'll get out of the contract. That five-year contract. Five years is a long time in the life of, of a child. That's practically their whole school life. I mean, you can't just terminate contracts at will without playing, I would imagine there'll be penalty clauses if you have to terminate a contract. I don't know where that money would come from. Um, and I, I still haven't had an answer to this question about who actually is running the school. If you, if you take out a contract with Anders' company, who employs the head teacher and the staff? The governors or the company? Well, we need to make an agreement with the governing body about uh, who's So it would either be you or you? But well, it could Fiona, Fiona, that, no, can I have an answer to that question? Well, that's precisely the sort of issue yeah. that we're negotiating yeah. with okay, various so potential Okay, so tell me what you think the, the answer would be, because that seems to me absolutely the crucial. But the, absolutely the, crucial. Well, it, it partly hinges on um, uh, how a council rates a school like the kind of school we want to set up. So it's I mean, got nothing to do with the council. We're no, it does, free no, it does. School. You're, you're well, let me explain operator. why it does. Okay, well, let me explain why it does. You're a free operator, and you're going to take out a contract with this company, probably over five years, and it will be a very complicated commercial contract, which you then, That's as the governing body, yes. well, which a local authority has expertise and lawyers yeah. and so on, so you as a parent group would have to manage that contract. Who will employ yeah, the well, head I'm, teacher? If you'll let me, if you'll let me develop the point, mm. um, it is absolutely, it does hinge on the... Um, decisions taken by the local bureaucrats on the local authority if they say that if your school um, if in your school a commercial provider is the employer of the teachers that means that we'll will impose business rates on your building but if no, they're employed by the, the charity if they're employed the by the academy trust the local then authority has nothing to do with, it, with this yeah. process but, but it, it chooses which buildings to 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 to, to no. levy business rates on and which you will be dealing directly with the government to set up your school yeah. right but my okay. building will still be subject to local authority business rates well, i don't know what building you've well, got that, i'm asking that, you who's no, going that, to employ the head teacher well that will be soft the phone's question is the key one but i think i think but that's that's a crucial issue we'll obviously be trying to get maximum uh, value, best it's value for money value, for the taxpayer, who? and if we end up having to pay more in the form of local taxes, yeah. if our local, who? if our external provider is the employer of the teachers, then the employer would be the academy trust, and that but, would but be can a crucial. You see how complex this yeah. gets. When yeah. really and the governance implications are absolutely. massive for this. Uh, but when you set up a school, the key thing is get a good head in there, yeah. support them with a good governing body, with a good governing body, have a way of involving parents, mm. get the teachers in, and you know, and and, and work like that. And we've, when you actually, you, there seem to be so many things. That are going the to get in your in way well, of actually saying who's going to be the head teacher, what support are they going to get? Let's get on. But with I'm it. in. I'm in. I, uh, my group's currently in a great position. We have these various different providers, some of them charitable, some of them commercial, competing for our business, and they're off. And we're going to get be the best possible deal we can for the kids. Who will sure, and, and who one of the things we're talking about is one of the things we're talking about. So maybe Anders can tell me who would you prefer if your company employed the head? Of course, of course, I would like. Of course, I would like to, to be in charge of the school and take responsibility yes. wait, wait, for, for the outcomes. That's mm. all about. So, so, uh, so that's, re- that's really you? important. How, really why, would, why would the government here trust a private company um, with the interests of its children? Yeah, you need to look at the track record and the, the people behind the company, the, the proposition and so on. And one key thing is that you're asking about the head teacher. I agree, head teacher is really important, and I should say that to Mika as well. It's, it's really important for a school. But it's not the whole truth about how you can create quality. But it is in the state sector. You are really dependent on head teachers when you try to create good school. What private company has bring to the table is the intellectual property behind the school, the codification of successful methods in order to deliver good education to the kids. And I think that's what yes. private that's what private companies can deliver to to this to this party. Is actually can they deliver it better than. State providers or charitable trusts. I, I, ha- I haven't. I haven't Quite yet. I have. I have. 
I have developed a model. I think Toby went and saw my, my the model I've developed in Sweden. That's a codification um, of how to deliver education to, to, to young people in a certain way. You might like it, you, don't, you might not like it, but it's a, it's a codif- codified model. And I have so far ever seen a codified model in the state sector because that's not the way the state sector works. They don't think about it. I, I don't think you really get what I'm saying now because it's, a, it's, a, it's about the know-how, the codification of the know-how, how you can transfer success from one school, from one school that, to actually. another school. And, a lot of and when, I see, when, when I see how you try to transfer those knowledge uh, by inviting Wellington College to be in charge of a school in Hackney or something like that, I, I think it's just uh, a, a bit ridiculous well, to I think about, about that. Before, before we, Mick, some of, some of the anxieties we have is that uh, by by uh, going along on, along the system of, of private companies having schools, is that you bring back this notion of competition between schools, which then creates isolation. And what we've been trying to do over the past few years is to encourage collaboration and community with our schools and groups of schools working together, sometimes in formal federations, sometimes or not. And, and I'm just concerned uh, that that is the case. And, and as I'd, I'd be interested to know um, of the, the Swedish system what percentage of the schools you think uh, in your new Swedish system are good schools and what are uh, bad schools uh, using the system? Because there must be a, continua- a continuum uh, of performance, you would think. Uh, um, uh, among these new free schools, yeah. uh, that's really hard for me. But, uh, you know, uh, I've been quite critical about some, some schools I've been, uh, that have started under this re- regime, actually, because... It is a, a very uh, experimental approach to education going on in the private sector. So it's a lot of good things happens there, very si- exciting things. We have, we have uh, hundreds of hundreds of head teachers from the UK coming over to see different kind of approaches to education. But uh, among these, there are some that is, that is not really good. And of course, of course, when you open up, you will have some not so very serious people coming in and trying to set up schools. I'm aware about that, and I think it's very important to to have some barriers and to to inspect and to have a great control of the outcomes of the schools. So, so what you're saying, uh, you would say exactly the same about the state system, and there is a continuum of provision, uh, which isn't necessarily about league tables, it's about the quality of the education that goes on in there. So whatever system you have, you're going to have a continuum of, 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 uh, of excellence. But you don't have that much of like. innovation so, in the state uh, system, I uh, think. And so we need to be honest about that, and, and I just worry that uh, some of the, um, the things we hear about the Swedish-style free schools have been cherry-picked uh, to look at uh, the very best practice, whereas in fact there's going to be that same continuum of provision as there is in states. Well, I think you look on these big chains of schools, they who have been successful because okay. you have heard about them, you haven't heard about small schools that have never been successful. And you have in America though, and a lot of them have been very unsuccessful and have, to, and have, have had to be shut down because they were taken over by people who really shouldn't have been running schools and were motivated by the wrong motives i.e. making money can i just ask we're gonna have two very last um, quick questions on this because we do need to move the conversation on but um fiona and then i'm going to ask you toby on this what is so bad i mean just if you could sum it up what is your biggest fear about profit making companies coming into british state education well firstly i think if, if there is spare cash around in the current context it should go into the schools not into the pockets of a private sector company secondly i think there are a lot of things that schools do that are not that are not strictly educational are very hard to quantify and don't lend themselves to a profit and loss approach to school for exa- example social cohesion inclusion child well-being i mean schools aren't about, they're not like car companies or supermarkets. They have another function in society, and it's very difficult to put a cost and a price on that. And thirdly, and we haven't really talked about the governance issues, but I do have real concerns about politicians that preach at us all the time about devolving power to local communities. But actually, when you look in the small print, and this is why the issue about who employs the head is so important, the power is actually being taken out of the hands of the local community, given to an unaccountable private sector company somewhere else or a charitable trust somewhere else, which is running that school miles away from where the parents actually live. And that's something that's very central in their lives. And I should think they, I think they should have a day-to-day relationship it's with it. It's not like the local and, community and, appoints the head at the moment, is no, it? Sorry, can I tell you that local... You, there is this, Another of the great myths about schools is that communities are very, very involved. I and mean, I've been a parent governor for years. And all, 
why all the schools I've been involved with have strong involvement from local parents. It's an absolute myth to suggest they're all run in a Stalinist form by the local authority. They're not. And I think what will happen if you, if you contract school, outsource schools out to companies, especially if they're in other parts of the country or in other countries, you will lose that very important link between the school and its local community, and you can't put a price on that. I think, I think the way it'll probably work in the case of our school, um, if we're not penalised for this by the local authority, is that the head teacher will be employed by whoever the external provider is, but that um, the Board of Governors uh, will be able to suggest candidates for interview and will have the power of veto over the appointment. Um, And I don't think that it would be such a disaster if experienced commercial providers actually employ heads. After all, you talk, Estelle, as if if, um, the private education sector was a disaster. It's full of these rapacious, profit-making companies who make profits at the expense of children. Actually, private schools are by and large much more successful than state-run schools. No, no, but they're not. 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 There are companies like Cognita and GEMS uh, which have schools that they they, they run them as private entities, as for-profit businesses. But if if they have a, a pool of successful heads that they've worked with, if they have recruitment procedures in place, if they have tried and tested interview practices, why would it be such a disaster well, can, can for the head teacher to be employed by a private company? You, you, what you're actually saying is you're happy to, to relieve control of your school to somebody else. You will have no power if you don't appoint the head as a governing Absolutely. body. If you, don't, if, you, if you don't employ the head, you will have no power over your school. But if be, we, if we, if all we you can the, do is try and negotiate via this contract that yeah. you'll have with the private sector right. provider. And, and, and if, you if, don't and like if the we're head, unhappy with the head, yeah, we, can say, we can say to the commercial provider, please replace him else we won't renew your contract. Okay. In five years' time. Well, I imagine there'll be break clauses. I'm not sure you've got much less power than that now, to tell you the truth. I mean, that's the irony. Talk about free schools and power to the parents. The way you've just summed it up, it seems to be that what you're doing is replacing power that lies with a governing body at the moment, which, as Fiona says, does represent the community to a large extent, to private sector provider. I can't see the gain at all. We need to to move on. Can I just ask you, can you answer this in 30 seconds, Toby? Um, Do you fear, some people have said, and we've talked about this idea of whether two different types of schools could emerge, do you fear that you could get a network of free schools which are free to run the curriculum as as they want and kind of other schools from which resources are taken? Or is that not something that worries you? You know, I, I absolutely agree with Fiona that, um, that free schools, if they're set up, should be competing with other schools, all other schools in the state sector, on a level playing field. And I think all the freedoms they enjoy, particularly freedom over the curriculum, should be enjoyed by all schools, not just free schools. OK. Um, can we just turn, as Estelle has suggested, from structures to things going on inside the classroom? There are obviously a n- number of other issues that have been um, raised in the parties manifestos one of them which i just want to look at now and maybe mick this is a good one for you to talk about is uh, the liberal democrats are certainly seem to be talking about completely reforming the accountability system around schools including cutting back the power of ofsted and reforming league tables as i know other parties have spoken about as well can you just talk about that and your own concerns around uh, yes, uh, we, we think that the primary curriculum in particular has been skewed, uh, is far more shallow and narrow um, uh, because of the, the emphasis of, of, of these uh, tests at the uh, end of the key stage. Um, and it, what these tests do uh, is simply measure reasonably accurately um, closed questions and closed thinking. And we know from research that's been produced by QCDA and others um, that the marking of tests which look at open-ended, and this is where you know higher-order thinking comes in, is, is extremely suspect. So we're saying that current, the current assessment system is not accurate. It's also skewed by the accountability um, measures that we have, which uh, encourage uh, primary schools to spend endless hours and wasting their time, endless hours for children rehearsing these tests. So we think, and we're balloting, and we will know on uh, uh, fairly soon uh, whether uh, there's a successful outcome in our terms of that ballot. So we do want to see uh, reform, and our campaign is the assessment reform campaign. We want to see a better system of assessment and therefore accountability for these schools. But if you, if you focus on accountability, uh, then at the moment you have a punitive accountability system uh, along with, um, you know, with, with a sort of um, 
Alan Sugar, uh, you're fired. Uh, kind of, you know, if you, your school fails and the SATs one year or the exams one year, you're fired. We think that actually the accountability system should be uh, celebratory, uh, but not be afraid to look at uh, uh, where there are weaknesses in the school. And you influence what's happening in the school. And it's not just the head, by the way. The days of the hero head have gone. This is a leadership team. You influence what's happening in the school by influencing what's happening in the classroom. And if year after year after year, these schools in the toughest communities are humiliated and demeaned by their league table position, that just destroys confidence. And confidence is one of the things that's essential to good teaching uh, wherever you are. Uh, and being in there and, and producing the goods uh, day after day is a very tough call. We need to support these, these schools. Just make it uh, harder for those schools. It. And I'll tell you what, if I hear one more politician talk about failing schools... Uh, with with a, 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 an improper definition uh, of that, uh, I, I will probably problem? have another ballot. What is the proper definition? Well, I, I think, uh, let's talk about the improper, t- uh, and we, we saw this in the National Challenge, uh, that the, the bottom, uh, the however many schools, being, yeah. which was a National That's Challenge, right. and we've now got it with world-class primary schools. Basically means, let's let me just explain pick, what it is, it means it's the yeah, system which means that schools which are getting um, fewer than 30% of their right. students getting A to Z, including English and maths, Indeed. go into this National yeah. Challenge. And of course we want that to be higher. I, I don't know anybody that turns up to school uh, to either lead it or, or teach in it that actually wants their children to do worse uh, at the end of the day. Of course we want that. But I mean, it, it was interesting that uh, in that national challenge, something like a third of those schools were deemed to be good schools. Mm-hmm. So you cannot take this sort of simple definition uh, of, of failure. So that, that's what it isn't. So a, a definition of failure that I would, uh, I would describe is where uh, schools uh, and, and indeed their teachers are saying, for instance, what can you expect from these children? That's an outrage. Uh, and I don't think it exists very much these days, but it's to do also with context. And so let's just take the extremes. If you've got a grammar school and a special school, you would expect the grammar school to be higher up the league tables than the special school. That doesn't mean that the special school is a bad school. So, so we, always, we want, you would always come up with extenuating circumstances well, to say that no school is actually a failure. No, that's absolutely, uh, and and there are schools that can do better. We 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 acknowledge that, uh, and there are teachers that can do better. We acknowledge that, but it's got to be uh, that uh, uh, improvement has got to be made on on a positive basis rather than the uh, you know, the apprentice model of, of 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 running schools, which we think is the wrong model. We have to. I mean. W- just one thing on that. I mean, I've certainly been to schools where, in fact, I went to one school which was 75% special educational needs. And because of the change in the Ofsted regime, suddenly went from an outstanding school overnight to being a satisfactory school. And it was so demoralising that the head left. Um, Estelle, yeah. what, what's your... Uh, how much are the Labour government responsible for this kind of demoralisation in certain I, schools? I, I believe not. I half agree with Meg. Uh, I agree <laughs> when you started, then you lost me around about... Um, lost my support around about a third way through. Let me say the bit I agree with, that the accountability mechanism has been in place now for 15, 20 years, and we should look at it now and again. I think it's served as well. I think it's changed the language, it's changed the power of the parents... It's highlighted where poor performance is and it's highlighted where good performance is. I think we've learnt a lot. I think we'd be a much poorer education system in almost every single way if we didn't have the accountability system. And I quite simply say, of course some schools underperform, but keeping it a secret just to those people in the school doesn't help that. So we've got to do that. So where I agree with you, the present system, I think, does mitigate against... um, staff feeling that they can do a lot of creativity often or music or pee or something like that and I'd be very happy to have a conversation that said let's look at the accountability mechanism including the the assessment including Ofsted and let's see how it needs to change given what we've learned from it and I think politicians are scared to say that because the minute they say that they get accused of going soft on standards and we've just got to grow up a little bit about that that's the conversation I want to have where I get worried with you Mick if I can just say it's this notion it makes my blood boil that what the league tables let's just call it that although that's not their name 
They've actually allowed many schools in the toughest areas to absolutely glow with pride when the performance tables have been published because they've been seen to be achieving against the odds. And it's raised the sights of us all. And if you don't put that information in the public domain, it denies them that right. And I just don't buy that schools serving poor areas are inevitably always going to be at the bottom of the pile. I'm actually in politics and education to make sure that that doesn't happen and we've some way to go, but taking it off the visible table so that we don't even talk about it is not the way no, forward. So I've got and, a bit of a shared and, agenda and still, with you, that's, that's but precise. you do lose we, me halfway through. We are through. not saying that, and it's not whether schools should be held to account, but how schools should be Can held just to th- account, just which, is, which is you, you did actually say it's not fair because when the, publica- when the tables are published, some schools feel low and they've got no self-esteem and they feel a lacking, a lacking in yeah. confidence. Yes. Well, the only way to solve that is not publish the information so they don't feel that. So how are you going to solve that then? It's you know, how you publish the well, we information. Have and, uh, well, it well, we already have value added. Well, it And if you're only publishing the, the information about how children do in English and maths, that isn't a fair so you, you, measure of the school, although it's important. And that's the nature we have, because if the yeah. solution to that was let's have league tables in drawing and PE as well as music and other things, we wouldn't want that. And that's a real dilemma, how we actually recognise the progress in subjects that we don't find yeah. as easy to weigh and measure. And that's a legitimate debate, and I've not heard a satisfactory answer from everyone. But I just say, do resist this idea you sometimes give that all this is about underperforming schools feeling bad on the day well, arguably, that the table's Ed Balls, published. the Secretary of State... Now for education, um, does agree with Mick to some extent because the report card, the idea of including all that other information, is about moving away. I'm not entirely convinced, but it's the first attempt I've heard for quite a long time. No one seems to be defending Ofsted, and it doesn't surprise me. Ofsted recently failed Christ Hospital School, which is, I think, by any measure, one of the four or five best schools in the world. It was a sort of reductio ad absurdium of the criteria (laughs) Ofsted uses to assess schools. Okay, Um, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, I'm sure these questions will keep being asked right up to May the 6th um, until we find out who the new government will be. I'd like to thank our guests, Toby Young, Fiona Miller, Estelle Morris, Anders Hulton and Mick Brooks. Leave your thoughts on our blog. You'll find that at guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. While we're speaking to a politically minded audience, a quick plug for our Politics Weekly live show from Birmingham. Jackie Ashley, Nick Cohen and John Harris will be joining Tom Clark and Allegra Stratton there this Tuesday, the 20th of April, as part of their election campaign roadshow tour. If you want to join the audience there, visit guardian.co.uk forward slash politicsweekly for details. This podcast was produced by Andy Duckworth. I'm Anushka Astana. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.